My name is Ken Jones. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, this, and uh, we welcome you to this morning's gathering of, of Missio Dei Church. We're here to worship the Lord, to learn from Him, and to encourage one another in Christ. If you're new or you're visiting, we especially welcome you, and we hope that you find some encouragement this morning, regardless of where you might be uh, in the process of figuring out what Jesus might have to do with your life. Today we'll be continuing the story of the early church and the life of Paul in the book of Acts. It's the latter part of the book of Acts. We're actually getting towards the end. So um, I'm just going to pray real quick and we'll, we'll jump in. Lord, I those songs, um, Lord, help us to... Um, Help us to trust you. Help us to fix our eyes on you. Help us to make uh, our own hearts a sanctuary for your life, for your reign. Lord, we ask your blessing on our time as we continue looking at this story of the life of your, your early followers. Um, in the book of Acts, and we pray that in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm wondering if you've ever been overwhelmed by fear. The story we're going to look at today is about trusting God in the midst, midst of uh, the worst kind of storm. And I'm wondering if, like me, you've been overwhelmed by fear, if you've ever been, on the other hand, carried by the Lord through a season of overwhelming fear, or if you've been carried by the Lord in the midst of what feel like overwhelming circumstances. As a general rule, I don't tend to lose my head in a crisis. Now, I don't say that as some kind of a boast. From what I can observe, it's a personality thing. Some people react differently to different things. Um, My go-to thing is, is there something that can be done to help the situation, especially if there's something that can be done to, other, to help other people. And without even thinking, I just start working the problem. And that's kind of what happens. If the crisis is ginormous, and I've been in a few of those, sometimes I dissolve into a pool of uh, emotional <laughs> breakdown when it's all over. But um, sometimes something happens that there's nothing that can be done. Sometimes there's nothing, you know, there's no way to work the problem. It's just there. And it, it might be uh, something that comes from other than a physical calamity. It might not even be circumstantial. Sometimes the fear might even be irrational. It doesn't, it's not that it isn't real, but it doesn't seem to be attached to anything practical going on. Some of you know this experience. If you've ever struggled with anxiety or panic attacks, and, and something happens that doesn't seem to be connected to real events. And that was my experience for about seven years in my early 40s. Um, and again, I grew up being a person. I'm, I, my parents called me a ham. I was basically out front. Uh, you know, I was doing something on stage in some fashion, probably from the age of five. And, uh, and I started having these experiences. But to make a long story, story uh, as short as possible... I spent about 30 years in a professional capacity, and one of the things that I often did was teach. 
Um, I would speak to small groups. I would speak to large groups. Another thing I did would be consult with, uh, with my clients. I would consult with other people who were working with my clients, uh, helping someone out. And when I was uh, 39 years old, I sat here in Portland in an office with a, a local attorney uh, who w- we were serving a mutual client. He was there with one of his younger colleagues, and I suddenly couldn't talk. I just, like, froze up. And I had to excuse myself to go to the men's room and say, Lord, what is going on? Um, Something in me was terrified. Now, what was really weird was that this lawyer that I was meeting with, lesson number one, always close the lid on your water bottle. Um, The lawyer that I was meeting with was a friend of mine. He wasn't super close, but his daughter and my daughter were really good friends, and I knew this guy. I was also I had no question that I was uh, that knowledgeable about the stuff we were talking about. Knew the client, knew what we needed to do and talk through. But I, I was frozen in this initial panic attack. I never had an experience like that, and therefore I didn't really know what to do with it. I'd known people who had them. I've known plenty of people who've struggled with anxiety and panic attacks, but I had never been there myself, and it seemed unbearable. Now, I don't know how many times I had those experiences over the next seven years, but it was a bunch. It happened in little groups. It happened in medium-sized groups. It happened in big groups. Happened, I'd be you know, sitting with uh, 25 of my colleagues at the firm where I'd, people who knew me, people who I knew, people who respected me, and all of a sudden I just couldn't talk. It's just crazy stuff. Um, one of the last ones, I was going to speak uh, to f- about 500 people up at the Civic Center on a, a tax topic about which I was expert, and I was sitting on the dais. It was about my turn, and I knew that I was freezing up, and I um, had to go up and do it. I'll tell you the story about how that played out in a minute. Anyway... For any of you who've ever had these experiences, one of the problems with panic attacks is the fear of having a panic attack. So the fear of having the fear gets layered on top of it, and all of a sudden you're just like living in this swirl of things. Well, during those years, I ate the story of David and Goliath for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, I just ate this story. It was like, and this is, this is one little snippet of it. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and a javelin, and I come to you against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you've defied. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it isn't by the sword or by the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And I had a few passages in the Psalms that really carried me. They were sort of my prayers. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God. Whom I, whose word I praise, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can mere men or circumstances do to me? In you, O oh Lord, I trust. I put my trust in you. I trust in you. Don't let me be put to shame or let my enemies triumph over me. 
my prayers are really simple. And actually, I prayed this prayer that very first time when I was in that bathroom before I could go back in. It was just basically, I, I, this prayer developed over the years, but it was, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to get up. This is the prayer that I said when I was sitting in that dais about to go up and talk to those 500 people. I'm going to walk up to that podium. If I can't speak when I get there, the world will not come to an end. If I fall over in a dead faint, the world will not come to an end. I trust you no matter what happens. The worst thing that could happen to me, this is one of my regular prayers, is that I could die and that will not be the end of the world. I won't live under the thumb of fear while you are my God. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Don't let your enemy triumph over me. Now, that was a seven-year period in my life. I think the Lord gave it to me, frankly, to teach me how to trust him in something brand new. Um, the pandemic has surfaced a new, different kind of trust problem for me. And I'll be honest with you, in some ways, it's harder than that. And that was pretty difficult. <laughs> um, Linda and I have been living our lives together with you and our other friends uh, in the face of Linda's cancer for three and a half years. And the pandemic only exacerbated what life is like in that situation. Or to put it another way, Linda's condition exacerbated the pandemic uh, and all that we needed to do to live wisely. She has a blood cancer, which if you, if you read the news, uh, you know, there's vaccinated people and there's unvaccinated people in terms of how people respond to exposure. And then there's people like Linda who are in the middle who are fully vaccinated. But uh, for some reason, blood cancer people, uh, the vaccine's not, not quite as effective. Anyway, I have felt, I'm, I'm not saying that to, you know, it, it is what it is, but it is a new kind of a trust problem for me. It's like, is God big enough for this? Because I felt, and continue to feel boxed in by the realities of living with this virus and all that it means. And I found it difficult to have an active, present belief that God is enough, that my life is truly found in Christ and nowhere else. Well, one of the things that I love about this story of David is that after he said all those things, he ran to the battle line to face Goliath. Now, we don't fully know all the emotions that David was feeling. I, you know, I don't know if he was feeling afraid or if he was rah, rah, or whatever. We just know what he believed. And what he felt was not as important as what he believed. What he believed is that God was enough. God was bigger than the biggest giant or an entire army of Philistines. Now, the fact is, David could have died in that battle. I mean, he could have gone out there, and if things had gone the way things ought to go in that kind of a situation, Goliath would have triumphed. Uh, but he wasn't depending on his own strength. He was just depending on the sovereignty and the presence of God. Well, here's my question. What terrifies you? What are the things that you fear that cause you, as they do me sometimes, not to trust in God? The things you fear might be entirely based on real things. I mean, actual events going on in life. When this cancer is a real thing, the pandemic's a real thing, or they might be irrational. They might be like my panic attacks, which really, truly were not tied to an actual thing going on on the earth. They were just 
something going on in me. You might be facing health struggles of your own. You might be facing health struggles in someone you love. You might be facing marital problems or job security problems, friendships that have been hammered by the pandemic. I know so many people who are really wrestling with that right now. Um, Are you able to trust God in the midst of it? There's no doubt that he's trustworthy. I bet if I asked every one of you, you'd say, yes, God is trustworthy. But we all struggle sometimes to trust in the one who is trustworthy. When you find it hard to trust him, to rest in him, to be at peace in him, what helps you, what helps you find your way into the life-giving presence of God? Well, we're going to look at this story of Paul and his companions in chapter 27, uh, the book of Acts. We'll just briefly look at a little piece of it. Joel talked about the first part of this story. This is a continuation of the big giant storm. Can I get that next slide? So just really quickly, last week um, we went from, uh, sorry, I know you folks on YouTube can't see me. Um, they went from here to here, and they went. They took the boat over here, and they ended up down here in Fairhaven. And it's down here on the south of Crete where Paul said, uh, guys, don't go any further. It's not going to go well for us. But they do anyway, and they take off from there. And they spend 14 days, two whole weeks, going from the south of Crete, which is in the middle of that map, to where they're going to land in Malta, which is a tiny little island south of um, Sicily. So that's what happens there. Um, Paul had been under arrest in Caesarea for two weeks, for two weeks, two years, and finally took this journey. One of the things that strikes me about the passage from last week, the one thing I want to point out, is that you will remember Joel telling us, Paul stood up and said, don't do this. Not a good idea. What, what, what strikes me about it is that he had, he had the confidence to share his perspective faithfully, and then he let it go, leaving it in the hands of God. I don't want to belabor that in a big way, but it seems really relevant to kind of where we are right now in our circumstances. I'll bet you there are no small number of us who've had some kind of an opinion about how the government or maybe even MDC have handled the pandemic and are still doing it. Um, They're on a ship in the Mediterranean that is about to, that everybody should have died. Let's face it, this story is crazy. Um, he just says, look, I'm telling you, this is the deal. And those in authority said, yeah, whatever. And they took off. And he just let it go. I just, I think that's just uh, kind of amazing. I'm not sure that would have been me. <laughs> You've been chipping at him all the way. Um, well, we're going to start in Acts 27, verse 27. I'm not going to read the whole passage. That's where we start tonight. On the 14th night, though, as they were driven along, they've been out here for two weeks. They're being driven across the Adriatic Sea, which is that sea. Well, you can see the Aegean Sea. The sea that separates Greece and Italy is the Adriatic, and they're flying along there, um, northern Mediterranean. And they think that they're finally getting close to land, so they take some soundings. They figure they are. They, get, they drop some anchors so they don't crash, and they're just praying for the daytime to come. But for some of the sailors were seeking to escape the ship 
And they lowered the ship's lifeboat under the pretense of putting out some more anchors, but they were really going to get away in the boat. And Paul told the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay on the ship, you can't be saved. Now, this is really remarkable. Here's Paul. He's a prisoner. And he tells them, unless the men stay in the ship, you can't be saved. And so the soldiers cut the ropes and set the lifeboats go. I love it. Picking up in verse 33, I'm actually going to read the text. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything, and now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he had said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all, and he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged. They ate some food for themselves. There were about 276 people on the ship. After they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. What an amazing impact we can have on people when we actively trust in God. These people on this ship had just spent 14 days and nights being driven in a storm that caused them to throw everything overboard. I mean, they had jettisoned everything. They didn't even have any lifeboats anymore. And it says in that passage we just read, they were all encouraged. I find that remarkable. Now, I'm not um, pretending that if I just trust God out loud in every situation, that I'm going to win everybody over and everybody's going to say, yeah, I want that. But I can say this, uh, I know this from experience, it will certainly encourage those who want to trust God if they encounter someone who does. In this case, it even brought peace and encouragement to those who didn't even know the Lord. Picking up in verse 39, when daylight came, they didn't recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach and they decided to run the ship aground on the beach if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea, and at the same time, they untied the ropes that held the rudders, and they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship hit a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. Now, the soldiers, probably following standard protocol, were going to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to save Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who would swim, who could swim, to jump overboard and get to the land, and the rest to get there on planks or other pieces of ship. And this way, everybody got it to the land. And once they were on shore, they found that they were on Malta, which is that little island south of Sicily. Uh, the islanders showed us unusual kindness and built the fire and welcomed us because it was raining and cold. Verses 3 to 6, I'm not going to read, tell us a really interesting story about Paul gathering some sticks for a fire. Snake came out, bit him on the hand. The people that saw it happen said, whew, this guy must be an evil person. They waited for him to curl up and die. Instead, it had no impact on him, and so they decided he must be a god. Kind of interesting uh, way to process information. Uh, the only thing I really want to say about that particular story is how completely chill Paul seems to be. Just as he trusted God for two weeks on this ship that was being carried in a storm, he's completely confident that God was going to do what he had said, which was get Paul 
to Rome. The point of this story is not, if you have enough faith, you can play with poisonous snakes without fear. The point is to be confident in God and trust him regardless of what comes our way because he's completely trustworthy. Our text this morning ends at, in the beginning of 28. There was an estate nearby, belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery, and Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this had happened, everybody else who had sick people on the island brought them and they were cured. They honored us in many ways and we were set sail. When we were ready to set sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Here's a couple things I just that jump out of this storyline for me. The first is that from the beginning of the voyage, we see the coolness of Paul. He was a leader, even though he was a prisoner. He didn't lose his head. He might have been personally gifted that way, and it seems to be that he probably was. But what comes out in the story is not that Paul was fearless, but that he had this overwhelming trust. He had an overwhelming trust in the lordship of Jesus Christ over everything. And specific to this story, he had complete confidence that the Lord would deliver him safely to Rome. Not only was Paul at peace, but he was able to inspire trust and peace among the 275 other people on that ship. And he did that by confidently testifying to who God is and that God had made promises he would keep. In spite of the fact that he had warned them not to take the voyage and that they should have listened to him, he told them to take heart because the Lord had told Paul that he would reach Rome and that no one on the boat would lose their lives. In other words, he testified to the existence of God, to the power and the sovereignty of God, and to the faithfulness of God. Well, that raises a question for me as to how might we encourage one another. Reminding each other what is true in the Scripture can be helpful, is helpful sometimes, but it's most helpful when it's married to our personal stories of how those verses or passages actually played out in real time in our lives. Where's God shown up in your life? How, How has what God has spoken actually carried you through something hard? Linda and I were blessed this week to sit with the rest of the leadership team for a couple of hours on Wednesday night at our, at our monthly meeting. We all spent the majority of our time talking about what the Lord's been doing in our lives lately. For Linda and me, just being there and hearing those stories was uplifting, it was encouraging, it was rejuvenating, it was life-giving. From the things said by other people at the meeting, I think other people had that same kind of experience. We were all in courage because we all got a window into the activity of God, people finding God in the context of real lives and from hearing about the God who's trustworthy. As I approached the text this week initially, my first inclination was to talk about the fact that Paul was rarely alone in all his years of ministry. On this voyage to Rome, back in verse 2 of chapter 27 from last week, we read that he was accompanied by Aristarchus and by Luke. When the centurion, the owner, and the pilot of the ship, those people in authority, had all decided to disregard Paul's advice and to stay put and set out on this thing, Luke and Aristarchus 
could have said, Paul, we believe you. This is going to be crazy, dangerous. We'll just stay here in Crete. We'll catch you in Rome in a few months. They didn't. They stayed on the boat. Even though Paul said, if we go on the ship, it's going to be a disaster. It wasn't just Paul who trusted God, but Aristarchus and Luke, who knew God and trusted him the same way that he did. I am certain that the two of those, those two men staying on this thing encouraged Paul. Paul believed. Paul believed God. But when we see someone else believe God, it encourages, encourages us to believe even more. We're on this journey together. And if we're going to go forward, continuing to trust God, we will be encouraged as we do it together and as we trust him together and as we tell each other the stories of God's faithfulness. The leadership team will very soon be focused intently on restoring and strengthening our community life through community groups and triads. Please pray for us. Really, we, we, need, the, we need your prayers because we need help from the Lord to, in all the things that we do. I mention it this morning, though, because we hope that some of you will think about taking a role in either hosting or facilitating or providing administrative support to a community group. I I encourage you to talk to somebody, pray with some folks that might share that interest, especially if they live relatively close to you. And and for all of us to just talk to the Lord about joining a community group or try it if you're not already doing that, even if you don't take a leadership role. The experience that I recounted of the leadership team meeting this week Sharing the faithfulness of God with each other is the very kind of thing that we hope takes place regularly in community groups. A community group is a place where we can deepen our trust in God as we follow him together, and it's a place to be built up together in Christ as the body of Christ and as the house of God. My prayer this morning is that we might learn to trust the Lord in the midst of our greatest fears, whether they're founded in the most frightening and harrowing of circumstances or founded in anxiety and panic that doesn't seem to have a direct observable cause, and that in the midst of those fears that our trust in God will bless others by inspiring them to trust the Lord with us. Thank you. That's a simple little proverb that many of you have known since childhood. That's what Paul did. That's what some of the folks on that boat learned to do in spite of the craziness of the situation. We're going to come to the communion table now. And as we receive this cup that's going to be handed out by someone who's going to come up here in a moment, Joel... Liz, is there someone? (laughs) Emily, fantastic. Thanks, Emily. Uh, They're going to hand out these little cups. Um, Please remove the wafer and open the little juice cup. We'll, We'll take them one at a time, and we'll take them all together when we get there. Thank you, sir. And if you have trouble taking this little wafer out, you're not alone. I I succeeded, I think, easily this morning, but not always the case.
Let's pray together as we come to this table this morning. We consider you, Lord Jesus, you who never sinned, and yet were made by your Father to be sin for our sake, so that we in you might become the righteousness of God. We come to this bread and to this cup remembering the cross. It reminds us more fully than anything else of the faithfulness and trustworthiness of our God and Father and of you, our Lord Jesus Christ. At the cross, by breaking of your body and the shedding of your blood, you carried us from life, from death into life and from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Lord Jesus, because of this, we look forward to the resurrection and the life to come. And because of this, we live in the reality of the resurrection, yours and ours, even today. We take great courage as we remember your words to Mary, the brother of Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Oh, Lord Jesus, you know that we believe, and we ask you to help us in our unbelief. Lord, you're trustworthy. You're worthy of our trust. Not because everything will always turn out the way we want. We will suffer loss. We will suffer pain. We will suffer death of our loved ones and eventually our own death. But you, oh Lord, you are good. Even death cannot steal our joy in you. Death cannot even steal our life. Lord Jesus, like Job, we know that our Redeemer lives and that in the end you will stand on the earth again. And even after our bodies have decayed in our flesh, we will see you, God, with our own eyes. Let's take a moment to speak to the Lord offering him our own prayers of confession, of worship, and of petition. Amen, Lord Jesus. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which was for you. Do this to remember me. Let's eat together. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it to remember me. Let's drink together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Praise be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.